This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 261, recorded Wednesday, March 30th, 2016. Welcome to the program, everybody. Jason and I have already been on the Skype call for like a half an hour now talking about all kinds of stuff, so I'm ready to call it a night. Yeah, I'm tired. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm pretty much talked out. You talked a lot more than I did on this uh, on the pre-call call or pre-show call. Mm-hmm. So uh, everybody have a good night. We'll uh, see you Monday. We'll see you Monday. We're just we're going to skip this one and gear up for the season finale on Sunday. I mean, I'd even be mad at us if we did that. Yeah, I know. I, we couldn't do that. We definitely will not be doing that. We do have tons of feedback here to get through, and uh, it's all really amazing. So I'm I'm getting I'm really excited to dive right into it. I'm chomping at the bit. Chomping at the bit. That's good. Here we go. Listener feedback. All right. We are going to start with a call. This is, of course, all listener feedback for 15, episode 15 of The Walking Dead, season two, mm-hmm. which we just saw. And season two? I uh, six. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm... Confused me there. I'm like, season what now? Yeah, we've gone back. This feels in... like more than two seasons. <laughs> we've gone back in time. We're going to talk about season two. <laughs> um, that That is in the plan, though. You know why? Because when this show finally does end... Yeah, we got to do something. We're just going to start over at the beginning and then do do the whole thing over again. I don't see why not. No, exactly. I mean, <laughs> what else would we do, right? Yeah. Re, a full rewatch. And then when we're done that, I don't know. We'll We'll think about something else then. Well, yeah, there's all kinds of ideas. There's the 10 times. You could watch something 10 times and then talk about it. So we'll watch each episode 10 times and then have a show about it. Oh my God, the 10, the 10 times podcast, 10x podcast. Yeah. You watch- That works for a movie too. Movies too. You watch a movie 10 times and then talk about it. Good Lord. That <laughs> would take a lot of effort. Uh, but hey, not a terrible idea. Yeah. So keep the, write that one down and we'll see where it goes. Uh, all right. So our first- Feedback here is a call from Mark in this Shire of Devon, UK. And Jason, I'd like you to listen closely to this call because I, Mark says something and he says it in all seriousness, but I can't tell if he's being sarcastic or not. Okay. I've got, uh, I'm turning my sarcastic gain or my sar- sarcastic squelch all the way up so that I can uh, see if I can detect it. And, and I don't mean, there's nothing inherently sarcastic about what he says but it's it's funny and as soon as i heard it i'm like well i gotta i gotta play this because this this just is too too close to home for him to not know what he's saying so anyways here we all go right, my, is, my sarcasm meter is, is uh, warmed up and ready to go. all right this is mark in this shire of devon uk hey chris and jason this is mark from the uk i just wanted to send in my holy crap did you see that regarding east um I think Jason nailed it when he said that they added the the audio at the end when Dwight shot Daryl because I think this was filmed before the dumpster episode and they saw all the shit that they got from that. So I think there's a saying that you probably haven't heard on the the podcast before that my drum teacher used to tell me that if you accent everything... You accent nothing. 
And you probably haven't heard that before. But I think that means that they were trying for the shock factor on Daryl being shot. Is he dead? But because of the shit they got from the Glen, I think they backed down and added the audio post-production. So there was no, is he dead, isn't he dead? Anyway, love the show. Patreon follower. And uh, keep up the good work, guys. Cheers. All right. Th- thank you so much, Mark, for, for writing in. So first of all, thank you so much for being a, a Patreon supporter. That is wonderful. Yeah. Um, but also, <laughs> the, uh, the, the whole, I think we found your UK counterpart, Jason, your UK doppelganger or twin. Oh. Okay, you had me turn my my uh, my sarcasm my, my sarcasmo squelch all the way up to ten, and the sarcas sarcasm there was uh, so self evident that uh, now my sarcastic meter is broken, and I will no longer be able to detect sarcasm until I fix it. Okay, so you should work on fixing that. But but just in case anyone doesn't understand, um, Mark said that his drum teacher used to tell him that if you accent everything, you accent nothing. Yeah. And, and and he went on to say, I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase before, <laughs> which is funny because you play drums, had yeah. a drum teacher, and have said on this podcast probably five or six times over the yeah, years absolutely. that your drum teacher told you if you accent everything, you accent nothing. Yep, absolutely. So there's no way that Mark doesn't know that, right? He, that's, that's correct. As a, he, he knows that. He is... Uh, I, I'm surprised you didn't pick up on that, really. Are you being serious? Well, no. I, he, he, I thought his delivery was rather deadpan. And so, <laughs> good on him, you know? No, he's making reference to Jim McComb, which is my drum teacher. <laughs> he, Jim McComb taught me three things in my life that I still hold tr- true to my heart this day. That uh, if you accent everything, you accent nothing. And don't get married till you're 35. And I didn't. I didn't get married till I was 35. You were more than 35. I was more than 35. Okay, so... I'm not telling you what the third thing was. Please? Come on. No, I, and I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. Are you sure? Can yes, you tell I'm me sure. off the air? Uh, maybe. Maybe. All right, fine. Oh, now, now we're teasing people. You can't do that. <laughs> oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. Okay, to get back to Mark's call, though, I don't think that... Um, I, I think he may is partially onto something. I don't think that this was filmed before the Glenn stuff. I think in general, The Walking Dead pretty much films episodes in order. Right. Maybe not because of schedules and things like that. So it's a possibility. But I do think that Mark is on to something in that, like you said two, two, night, two nights ago, that they added that uh, you'll be all right there to to kind of appease people a little bit and cover sort of cover up what they were doing. You said that, right? Yeah, I did. And I, I think if I didn't say it outright in my mind, I was thinking back to the Glenn episode that, uh, same as Mark referenced there, is that they uh, got such negative feedback from that that they can't do that a second time in the same half season or right. the same season. But 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 adding audio is something you can easily do like late in the post-production process. Yeah. So. They could have added the audio a half hour before it aired. <laughs> that might have been a little tight, but. They could have added it live. We're going to have the actor come in, sit his butt down in the chair. You sit there, and when I touch you on the top of your head, you say that line. And then when it aired, he just hit him on the top of the head, and he said it. You'll be all right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, good. Thanks, Mark, for calling in. And uh, I think you and Mark somehow need to get together. And first of all, make sure you don't, like, look identical, because that would be weird. But, you know, just, just realize that you guys are... Kindred spirits. Oh, yeah. Who have grown up in different continents. Well, I don't know where Mark grew up, but he's currently in the UK. 
and he sounds like he's from the UK. So, uh, you know, grown up on different sides of the world, but clearly have had the same life experiences. Nice. Nice. All right. We have uh, an email from Bill in Indiana. I need some clarification. It seems to me that Daryl was only going after Dwight and company and did not know Carol was gone. Uh, a few shows I've listened to suggested he was going after Carol. No, I don't believe uh, Daryl knew that Carol was gone because he left before, um, from all indications, before Tobin took the note to Rick. Yeah. And he, he wanted to, his goal to go out was not looking for Carol. His goal was go to go out looking for Dwight to get revenge for killing Denise. Yeah. And the only thing we can really glean from this is that all those other shows are shite. <laughs> I don't know what shows they are. I, I, I'm not, that's the only thing I can, I can get out of this. Maybe you, I'm not willing to say that. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but I, I really don't think he was going after Carol. He does not know Carol is missing. No, I don't think so either. And why would he go back to the, uh, the train tracks and hide his motorbike if he's going after Carol? Because Carol wasn't there. Mm -hmm. No, you're right. She wasn't there. Yeah. So hopefully that clarifies things for you, Bill. Kate in Sydney, Australia writes, now I don't normally agree with Chris. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> Except on this point, I totally do. Sorry, Jason. Oh. <laughs> the Daryl cliffhanger slash you'll be all right moment was great. We don't really know anything except Daryl was shot somewhere on his person. Nothing like the dumpster Glenn malarkey. Now, I will probably go back to mostly agreeing with Jason if he starts making sense again, that is. Yeah, uh, my, my wife pretty much agrees with you that uh, she only agrees with, me, agrees with me when I make sense. Because when I when we don't agree, I'm the one that's not making any sense. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, <laughs> right? That's that's how uh, that's how things work, right? Yeah. Um, well, thank you, Kate, for agreeing with me. I still stand that that's the right way to do a cliffhanger, not the Glenn stuff. Um, and you know, we've seen other not so great cliffhangers, but Daryl getting shot like this for me worked pretty well. It's, it's not a cliffhanger. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. It's a. Uh, it was a cliffhanger until they added the audio saying, "Ah, oh, you'll be fine." Now it's not a cliffhanger. We don't. We know he's fine. He'll, he's going to get out of that. He didn't get shot in the head. He's not dead. But it's misdirection in a good way. Like we 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 know he wasn't. Sh we don't even know if Dwight's talking to him. Frankly, I mean, he probably is. But um, this to me, this is effective misdirection, and it's a cliffhanger because you don't know the fate of the character at this point. Yeah, but we could have got that without the last five seconds of the show. Yeah, I suppose, could, and I and I still probably would have liked it okay, but I just don't think that the shot and the audio ruined it is the thing Yeah, for me. Okay, well, eventually I'll start making sense, and maybe I'll agree with you. <laughs> eventually, one of these days. <laughs> one of these days. All right, next we have Paula. Paul, sorry, Paul. Paul in Adelaide, Australia. Let's see, was Paul in Australia. I kind of merged them all together into Paula, and I apologize for that. He writes, given Dwight's perpetual incompetence, I can't help but feel he probably shot Daryl's ear off. <laughs> but the joke's on him, because Daryl has been collecting ears from the outset and most likely has a suitable replacement ready to go. And on the other hand, I'm guessing Dwight lacked the foresight to be collecting backup wieners. <laughs> <laughs> so Daryl's got a backup ear, but yep. of course, Dwight had his his uh, dick bit off by Eugene. I'm sure it's still there. I'm sure it's heavily bruised and is very uh, painful for urination, <laughs> which is always, always, always cause for concern. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
I'm sure his wiener's still firmly attached and bruised. Okay. And really, if you're collecting backup wieners, you want to hope they're for lunch the next day. So collecting yours is bad. Like, it's just, it's weird. Yeah. Right? But collecting collecting wieners is way worse. Very, very much, I would say, yeah. (laughs) There's a, there's a penis museum over in Scandinavia somewhere that I heard about. Yeah. Um, and I heard, I don't know if this is true, that the only mammalian penis this guy does not have in his penis museum is the human penis. Well, it's, who's going to give him a penis? <laughs> true. And it's probably one of the, frankly, Actually, one of the easier ones to come by. Not that, you know, I mean, they're commonplace. I mean, I don't know. I'm actually a little surprised now that I say it that uh, somebody hasn't willed uh, him their penis. Well, maybe they have. By Someone now. the world over might go, you know what? When I die, he can have my penis. <laughs> yeah. And then sure. write that down because nobody's going to believe you if you just say it to somebody and then you die and then they say, he said he could have his penis. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not likely, pal. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe that for a second. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyways, um, yes. Darryl... I much prefer the uh, canoe museum in Peterborough. Just yeah, uh, I'm sure. There's probably lots of canoes they don't have, though. Yeah. All right, thanks, Paul, for that. Matt in Delaware writes, Did you guys see the crap writing the last few episodes, and especially in East? We're all breaking off into little missions, no authority, no order, a bunch of chance encounters that are merely plot devices, and no one using the buddy system unless they're forced to. So many poor decisions, and you mean to tell me that Daryl let himself get sneaked up on? Give me a fucking break. I'm tired of this lazy, sloppy, disrespectful writing made to fit whatever purpose they need to squeeze into the story or get a rise out of us. The viewers deserve better. Well, yeah, I'm tired of everybody getting uh, sneaked up on uh, in the woods. I mean, we have some accomplished woodsmen and survivalists uh, walking around in our group of intrepid heroes. Uh, You know, they... Would not routinely get surrounded so quietly and so completely. It does seem to be happening quite a bit lately, like just walking along somewhere and suddenly, oh, bad guys are here. Um, and yeah, I think I think it's got to stop. I I mean, Matt is pretty adamant in what he's saying here, and uh, and I agree generally with him. I think maybe I'm not quite as uh, quite as um, I don't know, forceful on the point, but, uh, you know, leaving chance encounters, just going out. I mean, the biggest thing that jumped out at me from his comments is that no authority, like nobody is sort of planning. They're just all doing stuff, right? Daryl leaves. So three more people leave. Carol leaves. So two other people leave. And, and, uh, it's all, it all feels like it's just to separate the group a little bit and get people in position for something else that's maybe about to happen. Yeah, I do have to take exception to the uh, to the statement he says that no one's using the buddy system. I, I disagree. Maggie and Glenn uh, buddied up in the shower there. Uh, they were using the buddy system to conserve water and energy. So uh, mm-hmm. I see evidence of buddy system being used. Certainly in the shower. And when you think about it, I mean, Morgan and Glenn went together. Uh, sorry, not Morgan and Glenn. Rick and, Rick and Morgan <laughs> went together. Right. Um, the other three went out together. And even when they separated, they were two and two, Daryl and Rosita and so on. So people are sticking together a little bit, but yeah, I don't know. And Rick and Michonne buddied up to eat that apple when they woke up. You're all about the sweet, sweet lovemaking again. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it. 
I think maybe <laughs> later on you're going to have to. <laughs> I might have to. All right. All right. So next we have Stephen in Melbourne, Australia. Overall, an okay episode, but I felt the pacing was a little off, and I'm getting tired of people being ambushed and taken hostage, only to be rescued or not rescued to satisfy, satisfy plot requirements. East had the feeling of the writers moving people around without, without much logic, and for me, this reduces tension. Yep. They're just moving them around. I, I swear. They're, these, the last episode or two, well, East really in general was just a bunch of chess pieces being positioned for something to come. And yeah. uh, that's going to come on Sunday night, I think. Next up is Brettany on the internet writes, I feel there's a big plot hole this season. How the heck do the saviors even know that Alexandria attacked them? Everyone that saw them attack or might have seen Jesus is now dead. And there were no scenes showing those characters informing others. So how could the saviors even know that Alexandria is to blame? That has not been explained. But maybe it will be. Maybe it will be, yeah. Um, but let's think about this for a second. So, motorcycle gang on the road, they're all blown up. Obviously can't tell anybody about anything. Car in the background. Yeah. Remember the car that showed up just ever so slightly before the explosion? Yeah, that's right. Could have been a, pl- uh, you know, uh, a technical error. Uh, it could have been part of the plot. We don't know yet. Yep. But uh, there was a car there. Okay, so... Uh, Buddy just got away on uh, who's looking for his horse. If he was one of the saviors, uh, and he he got away. Okay, there's that. Yeah, I think... Which is very, very recent. Other than that, I think everybody's dead. But they were talking over the radio, too, right? There could have been other people monitoring radio traffic. True. That's good. Okay, you've come up with three reasons already. (laughs) I was going (laughs) to say, yeah, they killed everyone. How would they know? But you're right. There are... There are, seems like there's ample ways for the saviors to know kind of what's going on. Oh, and the, uh, the first group of, uh, uh, group of people that they, uh, ambushed were in that, uh, satellite facility. So maybe they, uh, were beaming information up to the satellites and then the satellites were disseminating it throughout the continental U- United States and parts of Europe. So pretty much everybody knows. I would think everybody, including the, uh, uh, the USS Ronald Reagan. Out at, out to sea because uh, they're I think they're probably safe. Okay, so clearly there's plenty of ways that the saviors would know what's going on, even though they've killed them all so far. Yeah, I don't I don't know if there I'm sure there is a USS Ronald Reagan, but I'm not sure what kind of ship it is or whether it's still active. Sure, I don't know. Somebody will let us let me know, will you? Probably. Um, one other thing I thought of too: when Maggie and Carol were being held captive, there was a lot of time there where Paula was on the radio with the backup that was coming. Yeah, that backup could have easily radioed back to home base and said, "Hey guys, we got a situation here. Um, here's all the info we have. We're on our way there now. They don't get killed until they get there, which took half an hour, right?" Yeah, it depends on the range of the radios too, and whether there's a, a relayer or uh, some other more powerful uh, way of relaying information a longer distance. Right. Okay. Like satellites. So maybe we'll find this out. Maybe we won't, but it is within the realm of possibility that the rest of the saviors kind of know what's going on. Yeah. Good. There you go. All right. I feel Next like we, we have I feel like we solved the problem there, Jason. That's good. Hopefully that closes Brittany's plot hole. Well, yeah, maybe. But uh, you know, really we don't we don't know. No. Like none of this stuff is it's all just speculation. Well, right? of course. we see a we see a random car that may have just been a technical error. Shit, Jimmy drove drove into the shot. Oh well. 
just leave it. Nobody's going to notice that. <laughs> we already yeah. blew these guys up. We can't redo that. <laughs> yeah, we can't reset that. That's going to take all day. We don't have the budget for that. Just right. uh, edit out the car and post. And then, uh, you know. Somebody uh, forgot. Somebody forgot to edit it out and post. And it's like, sorry, I forgot to edit it out. Yeah, it's no problem. Nobody's going to notice it. Yeah, no. So that's, that's one out the window. And then the last guy uh, that was looking for his horse, that just happened like four seconds ago. So there's no way that he told anybody that didn't already know. Yep. And then the radio traffic is just pure speculation. So we really, uh, uh, Retney is still absolutely correct. We don't know why or how the saviors know uh, about the Alexandrians. That's true. We don't know exactly. Regarding the guy looking for his horse too, we've got an email later on in the show here that has uh, an alternate theory on who that dude is. So we'll get to that in a bit. All right. So next we have Floyd in Lancaster, Ohio. I like Daryl as much as the next fan. However, this season they have kind of turned him into a dumbass. Dwight has gotten the better of Daryl four times now. One, he got the, got the jump on him initially in the woods, gas truck episode. Uh, two, then turned on him and took his bike and crossbow. Three, got the jump on him and tried to shoot him and hit Denise instead. And four, now sneaks up behind him and shoots him or Rosita. Maybe Daryl's not that good. Hell, he hasn't even killed a squirrel lately. <laughs> yeah, and he shot at Rosita and hit the tree beside her. But he meant to do that. Uh, yeah. He didn't mean to shoot Rosita. I, but he I knew, don't think he, he had situational awareness. And he, you know, even at the last second, he turned it a little bit. But uh, yeah, he did not mean to hit her. So you're saying he knew it was her, but still fired. Yeah, he's making a point. He's being an ass. Well, she did call him an asshole. So, um Floyd has an interesting point here, though. Like, Daryl has, you're right, um, been at Dwight's mercy like four times now. I can see why Daryl's kind of pissed off about this whole thing. Yeah, well, that's why he went looking after him, looking for him. Yeah. But, you know, even though Daryl was in the process of actively looking for this guy and finding an encampment, he still got snucked up on. Sneaked up on? Snuck. S snuck, not snucked. Sneaked? <laughs> Snookered. He right. was, uh, he still got completely snookered. I like that term. We, you should start that. Oh, it's a term. Totally snookered look, that dude. Look up snooker. It's like, that's the way it's supposed to be. Used. It's a pool game, right? Isn't it? it? The snooker is a pool game, but the snooker is a way, it's what you do in this game. Okay. It's, it's, it's apropos. Got it. All right. I believe you. Uh, next we have Matt in Ireland writing, I have three words for the end of this episode. What the fuck? Surely they can't kill Daryl off like that. I want to believe it was Morgan shooting Dwight, but he believes all life is precious. I really don't want to believe he's dead. You know, it, yeah, Daryl's totally not dead, and while well, Morgan wouldn't use a gun, even though he had one. Yeah, and they made a point of, giving, of, of showing us, though, Rick giving him that gun. So I wonder if they made such a big deal of that, it's going to mean that Morgan does end up using that gun for something. Again, like it's, we've had Chekhov's gun on this show a lot of times, right? Yep. He, he hands him the gun. Morgan says, no. Rick's like, take it. Just take it. So he does. So now Morgan, they made a point of telling us he's got a gun. Maybe that shot actually wasn't Dwight's weapon firing. Maybe it was somebody else sneaking up. Maybe it was somebody else snookering Dwight. <laughs> and and that's what gun went off, right? It could be. That's uh that's 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 a good theory. There's nothing wrong with that theory. I I don't find any holes. Okay, well, all of this better be explained in a few days. 
Yeah, hopefully. Mm-hmm. All right, next we have uh, Bob in Springfield, Ohio. He writes, uh, if you're in hostile territory looking for the people that killed Denise, why in perfect health would you get into a shouting argument with another member of your group? I cringed at Glenn and Daryl's arguing, arguing because I was expecting another projectile through the eye at any minute. Dwight's group didn't just stumble upon Glenn and Michonne. They just followed the sound of the dumbasses. If Dwight didn't shoot Daryl, I would have. Just follow the sound of the dumbasses. Yeah, generally that's all you got to do. <laughs> and you will generally find the dumbasses. <clears throat> yep. And that's kind of what happened. But I went back and watched that scene, and they do get in a little bit of a yelling match, at, at least Daryl. He raises his voice. And, yeah. you know, like Bob says, if you're in hostile territory, you're trying not to be found, you're trying to sneak up on someone for once, you don't want to start shouting. Yeah, you got to practice good noise discipline. Yeah, exactly. Make sure you don't have any change in your pockets. Uh, nothing rattles when mm-hmm. you jump up and down. And shut the fuck up. Pretty much, pretty much. All this criticism, though, of Daryl, or not really criticism, all these facts that we've just outlined about Daryl here being loud, not being able to kill a squirrel lately, um, getting, you know, a, one character getting the jump on him four times. I feel like they're tearing Daryl down a notch. Like, he used to be such a really capable character, but what's going on now? Suddenly he can't do anything right. Well, I think what they're trying to do, like, aside from trying to make Daryl into a dumbass, I think what they're trying to do is make Dwight, they're trying to elevate Dwight to be Daryl's nemesis. So, But instead of elevating Dwight to Daryl's level, they're tearing Daryl down uh, to where any dumbass can track him and get the jump on him. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's weird, though. Like, uh, all for the purpose of setting up a conflict between these two particular characters. Yeah. And it's funny kind of, it's funny how they know each other's name, too. I mean, I know that's just because they were introduced sort of at some point, but I do kind of like how Dwight sneaks up on someone and says, hi, Daryl, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what he does, but it is weird. I don't know. I'm, I wonder if these two are going to have to, like, throw down at some point and yeah. and just have a good old-fashioned fist fight and see it's who like comes Batman out on top. Batman versus Superman. Oh, it's not like that. <laughs> just so everyone knows, the reason we were on this call for 20 minutes before we started the podcast is because I was ranting to Jason about how bad that movie is. Um, despite a few good parts, we won't get into that here, but I really didn't like it much. Yeah. Uh, where are we? Ronan. Ronan in Ireland writes, I was interested to hear you refer to Robert Rogers' rules of ranging in last week's episode. I suspect Major Rogers would be turning in his grave if he saw both Daryl and Rosita approaching together towards the seemingly unguarded prisoners Glenn and Michonne. Surely Daryl should have known this looked like a trap and approached alone with Rosita held back in case the enemy revealed themselves. The only explanation I can give is that Daryl's emotions and desire to get revenge on Dwight prevented him from thinking clearly. P.S. If Jason reads this email, can you also say the phrase, sweet, sweet lovemaking, again? Ah, oh, I didn't know. You, you, you didn't get me in the rotation. No, that's that's unfortunate. So now but you I just can... have to listen to me say sweet, sweet lovemaking over and Twice over again. Twice even. <laughs> yeah, that's the third time this episode. Maybe Maybe I'll say it a little later. You never know. You never know. Um, Robert Rogers' Rules of Ranging is, uh, Ronan sent a link to them, actually, as well. So I might send that to you so you can read up on it. I would appreciate that in a great big way. All right. Because, yeah, there's some interesting information in there. 
but but once again, Daryl making a tactical error. Like, why have the both of them sneak up when one of them can hang back and watch for threats? Yeah, no, this was this was dumb. And then they absolutely when uh, uh, when they came upon the prisoners that were obviously unguarded, and then Glenn was going, "No, no, no," and and Daryl was saying, "Quiet, be quiet." But Glenn was still trying to warn him. You think that uh, Daryl would at this point, you know, look left, look right, a little bit. Just a little bit. I don't think Glenn successfully communicated the message, though, because he was too Oh, I got it. As soon as he started making his noise, uh, and I I totally understood what was going on. I knew exactly what was happening the second he started. Yeah, but the audience knows this, but I'm not sure he communicated. I'm not uh, in the woods. You're not in the woods. I'm not sure that was communicated to Daryl effectively, right? Daryl's pretty far away still, crouching behind a tree, and Glenn, what I thought Glenn was trying to say is, I mean, I, we're tied up here. There's some guys like right over there because the audience, we the viewers know that there's some guys sort of around a fire nearby or whatever they were doing. We don't know that Dwight is sneaking up behind them. And I thought Glenn was trying to say, you know, there's guys over here, watch out for them. But I think maybe it turns out he was like, Dwight's right behind you. So I, I'm just saying, I don't think he communicated properly to Daryl. I don't really hold it against Daryl in this case that he didn't get the message. Is all I'm right. saying. So, okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, you're up. I'm up. And so we have uh, Jenna in Kentucky. While Daryl may have been playing Ring Around the Rosie with the squirrel, I will stick with the fact that if you are actually trying to track people, you would move slower and make sure you don't miss anything. You move in a weaving pattern to look for foot footprints and whatnot. The Rosita group was uh, taking a straight line in a general direction. So Jenna is responding to our question of how the hell Rosita and Glenn and Michonne caught up to Daryl so quickly. Right. Um, and Daryl this, was chasing a squirrel. Well, that's what you said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ring around the Rosie with a squirrel. Right. Um, assuming that's not actually what he was doing, I think her point is is a valid one. You know, he was taking his time, following a trail, and they were basically just plowing through the forest. Right. So they they caught up to him quickly. And then he because turns around and almost shoots him. Everything Daryl does, he's just got this big dumbass hat on. He might as well be wearing this huge sombrero, like the ones from uh, uh, Three Amigos, like the big sombreros with the with the sequins on them. And uh, I had a sombrero like that. It was awesome. It those, was red and glorious. Those are some big sombreros. I yeah, like I'm, a mariachi band sombrero kind of thing. I may have seen a picture of you wearing that. I've also Maybe. seen a picture of my father-in-law wearing a giant homemade sombrero. <laughs> nice. And it makes me wish it still existed, and I kind of want to make my own. So that's the kind of thing that Daryl probably is wearing in the woods, walking around trying to sneak up on things and track uh, track other people. You know, sure, he's doing a good job tracking and uh, following things, but he's got this huge dumbass hat on that everybody can see, <laughs> and it's probably playing music. <laughs> that they can just follow. Because <laughs> everything he does is just, uh, you know, he lets people sneak up on him. He lets people catch up to him. Uh, if Daryl was tracking somebody and moving through the woods quietly, how the hell does the Rosita group make a beeline right for him and find him in the woods? Yeah. And and he might even detect them before they detect him. I mean, yeah, I know he wasn't wearing the music playing dumbass sombrero. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I mean, he sort of did, right? He heard them crack a stick as they were walking or whatever and shot his bolt. But I mean, by that time, they're right on top of him anyways. So yeah, yeah, it's it's funny, but 
you know, I was just wondering how they caught up so fast because he had a head start. But if he was taking his time, then that kind of explains it. Yeah. George in Leicestershire, England writes, I really hated the ending to this episode. It would have been so much better if it ended with simply, hi, Daryl, and then cut to black. This would then lead to a tense and exciting opening to the season finale. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I know. You, you, I, I, I know that's your position, but there you go. I, I thought I'd include something from a listener who agreed with you. Good. Hope, Thank you, George. Hope you, uh, hope you appreciate that. All right. Next, we have Ulrich in Germany. Just heard your interpretation of Dwight's You'll Be All Right at the end of the episode. While you said the U was meant for Daryl, in the German translation, Dwight says, Ich Anderhen, something in German, nicht, <laughs> which means all you others will be all right. I don't know if the guys responsible for the German translation work closely worked closely with the showrunners, uh, or this was just their interpretation of the quote. But it gives a different hint at what Daryl's condition. Yeah, Daryl's condition. Yeah, so y- you'll be all right is one thing. All you others will be all right. All y'all be all right. All y'all will be all right. That's totally different. It is. Is he talking to the audience? Is he talking to all the other characters? I mean, I is he saying, and, and maybe that line of dialogue is completely disconnected from that scene and they're just fooling us. Like think about the, the Comic-Con trailers that come out every summer. They use creative editing they move dialogue around they show you things that are completely unrelated that look totally related maybe this is one of those cases where you'll be all right has nothing to do with the scene that we just saw that'll kind of piss me off but it could be the case so i don't know and all you others or everybody will be all right is essentially what it was in german who knows man I just that that uh, you'll be all right. Just for me, sticks out like a sore thumb, yeah. and I mean that like you've just whacked your thumb with a hammer, and you're holding it up for your mom to kiss better. Like, please make this better. It hurts. Right. Yeah. <laughs> a kiss will solve everything. On the Usually thumb. Does. <laughs> all right, uh, Christian in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, wrote this, but I had to edit a little bit. His email was was pretty long. Um, Christian writes. I have been slowly reaching the conclusion that Daryl is going to die sometime soon. It started early in this season as he had been losing screen time and losing interesting material. I know you guys were critical of the blood splatter on the camera, but I believe it wasn't just for shock value, but was included to put the audience in the show. So when Dwight shoots Daryl and says, you'll be all right, I think what's actually happening here is the showrunners are speaking to the audience and telling all the people who love Daryl that they will be okay when he dies. So it's subliminal. It's subliminal and it's directed at us. You know, I don't think Daryl's dead currently, but if he dies next week, if he dies in the season finale, they're just trying to say, you'll be all right. You'll be fine. Um, You know, (laughs) they're almost preparing us for it a little bit. Right. But if, if that's in fact what they're doing. I, I felt that way about the X-Files. That uh, the whole purpose, I thought for a long time that the whole purpose was the of the X-Files was to prepare society for the fact that aliens were already here. And that when they finally, the governments of the world, went to their people and went, yeah, aliens have been here for the last 50 or 60 years, everybody would just say, I knew it! <laughs> Right? But the X-Files, you know, ran its entire run and still no aliens. I feel a little let down. 
I was hoping for actual, uh, you know, acknowledgement that aliens were uh, among us. So, you know, they could be doing that, uh, you know, hinting at uh, Daryl's demise on a number of occasions, uh, making him wear that dumbass hat and making stupid decisions, allowing people to sneak up on him uh, to get the better of him at a regular, on a regular basis, and then ultimately kill him off. And then we all would think collectively, I knew it. He was acting like a dumbass. It doesn't surprise me that he's going to die. And uh, most likely Norman Reedus will be on another show because he's so super awesome. And uh, whatever show he's on, there's a really good chance that uh, he's not going to be wearing sleeves. There is. And you know what? If he dies, I think I will be all right. And I think a lot of people will be all right. So don't get too upset, people. If if Daryl dies... We'll be, that's the new slogan. If Daryl dies, we'll be all right. Everything will be okay. Everything will be okay. We'll go on with our life and we'll make, take a few moments and breathe into a bag, mm -hmm. you know, get our, collect ourselves. That's right. And, and then move on and then move on. So I do think that is, well, a possibility and we're going to have to wait to find out. Right. All right. Next we have Jens in the South of Sweden. I think it's Jens. Yens? It's not Jens? Uh, soft J. Yens? Yeah. All right. I'm just I'm just guessing. I mean, let us know if you write in again, just to make sure we get the pronunciation of, of your name right. Oh, we pronounce crap badly. <laughs> it's been known to happen. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Yens writes, just a thought about uh, abort. Just a thought about Dwight and his trigger trigger finger. Maybe he holds the gun with his middle finger because Negan, as a punishment for stealing the gasoline truck, cut off his index finger, just like he did with the savior that held Maggie captive. Right. So I could see this being the kind of thing that Negan would do. He's a punisher, punishing kind of guy. He's not the punisher. Well, that would be something. <laughs> <laughs> too much, too much. Too much. We don't need the punisher in this show. Um uh, but if, you know, I went and looked at the scene and it doesn't look like he's missing his index finger. It just looks like he uses his finger finger for, uh, for pulling <laughs> triggers. So, so I don't know. I don't understand it. I just, I don't get it. Like, it's just his thing. Maybe he has a, an old lingering football injury and he can't use his index finger. Right. And so he I has hurt to do my finger playing football. Yeah. <laughs> like I was going to say sports injury, but no, if you're going to hurt a finger, I mean, football's a pretty good game to hurt your fingers. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I know you've never played football. I, I can throw a football. Well, that's good. Can you catch a football? I can catch a football. I can kick a football. I was really good at kicking a football. I had, uh, in high school, I had the football coach come after me like three or four times to join the football team. As a so kicker? No way. As, really? Why didn't you do it? You should have done it. Uh, because I didn't want him ha having any power over me because I dated his daughter for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, man. When are we starting the shit Jason did in the 90s podcast? That was the 80s, man. Well, okay. No, wait. 80s that, No, 90s. that was the 90s. That was the early 90s. <laughs> Either way, we can start in like 88, 87 and go up to like 2002, maybe. Yeah, he hated me because of, uh, I, I didn't, because I dated his daughter and he didn't like me, but then he wanted me to join the football team. I'm like, I'm not giving that man any power over me whatsoever. If he's going to make me, if he's going to have the ability to make me run laps, I'm going to be running laps forever. Yeah, but you boned his daughter, so I mean that you have that over him. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, anyways, I don't know why I don't know why Dwight uses that finger because it looks like he still has his proper trigger finger. And in the zombie apocalypse, if you're going to punish somebody, don't cut off their trigger finger. 
Oh, seriously. They, they, they really like, kind of need that. They're no use to you at that point. I mean, yeah. do something else. Cut their ears off. Nobody needs their ears. The flappy part, like not the the inner ears for actually hearing that that that's important. No, no, no. Come on, the flappy up, part. Just, just cut the flappy part. I'll cut off the uh, the earlobe. Who the hell needs an earlobe? Yeah, fine. Earlobe, sure. But you need the flappy part of your ear. That captures sound and directs it into the ear canal. Yeah, well, yeah, but you don't need it, need it. No. I mean, it's nice to have. Pinky finger or oh, yeah, toe. Cut off like, cut off finger. a little toe. I mean, that's a good punishment. Cut off all the toes. Who needs those? You don't need those. Well, you, I think they're good for balance. But anyways, yeah, like... You, one. some boots, you'd be fine. <laughs> okay. All right, let's uh, stop talking about amputation. Um, Mike in in Iowa. It's me, right? Yeah, yeah. Mike in Iowa writes, In the opening scene, you see Carol sewing up the sleeve of the jacket she's wearing when encountering the saviors. You also see the automatic weapon she puts in the sleeve when Tobin is coming and she hides everything under the bed. Um, so the implication is that, you know, she has the gun, she's modifying her jacket so that the, the gun can be hidden up there. Uh, why don't you read the next one, Jason, then we'll talk about this whole gun thing. Sure. We have, uh, Tim just outside Charlotte, North Carolina. Carol's sleeve gun. Ha! It's got to be the Colt detective. Detective special revolver, most likely chambered with 38 special that we've seen Carol carry and use over the past few episodes or past few seasons. A good little shooting iron to have up your sleeve in the apocalypse. The dead giveaway is the click, click, click. We heard the uh, following scene uh, showing her ragged and smoking jacket sleeve. That would also explain the lack of cartridge casings falling out of her sleeve. Revolvers don't eject empty casings when they're firing. When they empty, they make a very distinctive click when you pull the trigger. Now, the audio track and all the breaking glass makes it sound like she's got some sort of full-auto high-capacity pistol like a Glock 17 stuffed up there, but that's clearly not the case. My first reaction... Uh, was the mass massive gunfire came from the guys in the truck who were holding down the triggers of their firearms as they convulsed from being shot. But after rewatching the scene, that didn't happen. Chalk it up to some over-caffeinated, sugar-rushed Foley artists. The whole scene is completely unbelievable. To make uh, that many hits in that short amount of time from a six-shot revolver with a two-inch barrel, the sight's completely covered by a heavy jacket sleeve and having the trajectory of the bullets probably deflected by the jacket itself. Come on, Walking Dead. Get it together. And then, so one other point, uh, another listener, Perry in Oregon, Oregon wrote in, um, just to let us know that on amc.com, the official site of AMC. Apparently it was said there and I, I couldn't find it myself, uh, although maybe it was in one of the like making of videos they post. Um, but apparently they said that she used a Mac 11, which I didn't know, but is commonly known as an Uzi. An Uzi. So <sighs> she, she had an Uzi up her sleeve. So, you know, um, yeah. So Mike and Iowa said that you can see the, the, the uh, barrel of the gun that she's using and she's modifying her jacket in the in the opening scene. Tim says the whole thing is just a big load of BS because, you know, she had this 38 special uh, or Colt detective special, as they call it, which is a small six round revolver. And the sound sort of indicated that that's what she was using yet, um, at least the clicking sound, yet the number of bullets and so on was totally inconsistent with that. And then... Perry in Oregon, Oregon says that apparently AMC said it was an Uzi. Uzis don't go click, click, click when the uh, 
when the magazine is empty. Right, exactly. They don't do that. You can't fit an Uzi up your sleeve, I don't think. And if even if you could, firing it like that would probably not be really, you know, advantageous for your hand and wrist. Um, an Uzi is essentially a machine pistol. Like it's this very small submachine gun, sub uh, compact machine gun. Right. It's not known for its accuracy. Like it's a spray and pray weapon. Mm-hmm. You just kind of pull the trigger and hope you hit something. Yep. She was awfully surgical with that son of a bitch yep. from within her sleeve. Yep. So no matter how you slice it, no matter what's happening here, it's all bullshit. It doesn't make any sense. And and I I know, you know, people give us shit sometimes for dwelling on stuff like this, but it's these little things that, that you know, we, we enjoy analyzing, first of all, I think. And I think a lot of listeners enjoy analyzing it. And when you know better, when you know, like this is just kind of ridiculous. Sometimes I know sometimes you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit, but not always. I think it's fair to say things like this doesn't make any sense. And why wouldn't they do something else that apparently makes a little bit more sense? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, you know, I hope we're not offending too many people by dwelling on this a little bit, but it really didn't work at all because it's just, it's just silly. I just assume that the bullets were uh, semi-artificially intelligent self-directing projectiles. So they leave the weapon and they go, oh, what's going on out here? This seems like a really nice kind of place, all this stuff wishing around me. It's like, oh, hey, there's people over there. I like people. I'm going to go say hi really fast. <laughs> really and fast. It, and, and then it directs itself to go say hi to the person's uh, intestines. Oh, semi-intelligent or sentient bullets. That is yep. frightening. Yeah, self-directing. Self-directing. That is frightening. <laughs> Anyways, thanks to you guys for uh, writing in about that, about the the various options for the weapon that Carol used. Next up is Cheryl in Palmdale, California. She writes, I have to say that I'm pretty pissed at Carol right now. She had to know that by leaving the group, she was putting all of them in danger. It didn't take a genius to know that they would go after her, therefore leaving Alexandria and those looking for her vulnerable. I can only hope that she is hightailing her butt back home, given she now knows that the saviors know about Alexandria since they were on their way there. So that's it. She's turning around. She got 50 feet from the the gate and ran into trouble and decided to go home. Well, I mean, let's think about that for a second. If, if they don't know that the saviors know where Alexandria is, or even that they're from a community like Alexandria. Or that there's more of them. Or that there's more of them. But now Carol has that information because those guys basically said, they knew the name of it, and they said, we're going to go back there with you, and that's it. And they recognized the car. I mean, maybe that's enough for Carol to be like, oh my God, they're a threat. Maybe I should go back and tell everybody. Yep. You know, we need to prepare for this because they're coming. In fact, they were on their way there. Luckily, I just killed them all with my detective special, but more could Slash be Uzi. <laughs> Slash Uzi, yeah. Um, maybe that is, I mean, that is the kind of thing that if she now knows, she's like, holy shit. I mean, I just can't leave them like this. I need to go back and warn everybody. That's the smart thing to do. I hope she does that. Except it seems like she walked off into the field and never to be seen again. So yeah. I, I don't know. Um, but really quick. Is there, was there anything before this scene to indicate and let us know that the saviors did know where Alexandria was and what it was? I mean, the, the the motorcycle gang said, you must have a community somewhere. We want you to take us there. When Dwight ambushed them on the train tracks, he said 
take us back there. We're going to take what we want and who we want. But I don't think he knew where it was or what it was called. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure on that. So this could be the first time that it's indicated to our characters anyway that they know where Alexandria is. And that's enough. That's That would be enough for, for me to be like, oh, my God, I got to warn everybody. So hopefully that's what Carol's doing right now. Hopefully. Yeah. Or she's just wandering in the woods going, hey, I'm finally free. I don't have my spiky car, but uh, I have my uh, I have my detective special and my Uzi in up my sleeve, and I'm ready for anything. And she has all of their weapons, too, because remember, Rick only found one handgun on the ground. I think she took everybody else's guns. So she is encumbered with weapons at this point. Yeah. She's got a backpack full of weapons and heading out into the woods. Yep. (laughs) Hopefully. Yeah. She's going back. She's got to go back to be stupid not to. Yep. All right. Next we have Michael in London. The way Morgan and Rick went straight out to look for Carol and bring her back uh, when she was voluntarily, when she voluntarily left Alexandria was unnecessary. A bit governor-esque. Didn't he say that people could leave Woodbury at any time, but in reality, he didn't let anyone leave? Isn't that what Rick is doing here? Uh, What are your guys' thoughts on uh, going looking for someone who wants to leave the group, going, uh, go looking or not? Yeah, so the governor always said, sure, you're free to go. Anyone can leave, but then never really let anyone do that. Um, Carol didn't tell anyone she was going. She just left and... But the assumption is always there that our group is not the governor. It's not Woodbury. It's not whoever. They're very free and open. If someone wants to come and go, they can. If someone says, I'm leaving and I'm not coming back, they have the right to do that. They have the freedom to do that. It doesn't really feel like it here. Carol, sure. I mean, she left a note. She didn't really sit everyone down and say, I'm going. But she left a note and said, I'm going. And Rick is like, oh, my God, we got to go get her. So that (sighs) seems to be indicate that the people in charge are like you can't just leave like you you know you got to stay here that's true and it is a little governor-esque but it's also a little uh she shouldn't leave it's not safe out there uh we got to go and convince her to come back yeah i mean i I think the way rick sees it is is like we need her here she's valuable to the community and you know, her leaving sort of hurts us a little bit, right? It's uh, even if you want to go, you're more valuable here and the good of the many outweighs the, you know what I mean? The, yeah, um, it's the Spock thing. The Spock thing. The good of the many outweighs the good the of needs the, of the, the many needs outweigh of the, many. the needs of the few Fuck. or the one. The word need is what I wasn't getting there. But anyways, yeah. um, and that's how Rick sees it, right? You leaving hurts us. And so you can't leave or shouldn't leave. Yeah. But I just wonder if if Carol had come to the next town hall meeting and said, guys, I got to go. Like, I got to deal with my stuff. I can't kill for you anymore. I'm going to go out on my own and I'm probably not coming back. They might've tried to talk her out of it, her out of it, but would they have ultimately let her? I don't know. Maybe Rick's letting Morgan go. He's making the same argument. I'm going to go. I might not come back. Don't come looking for me. Yeah, but- Okay, see you later. Yeah, but the whole thing is hinged on the fact that he's still looking for Carol. Yeah. And and I, I think Rick believes that if he finds Carol, he's going to try to convince her to bring him. Uh, he's tr- he's going to try to convince her to come back. Yeah. It just seems a little uh, odd that, you know, he would spend all these resources looking for Carol and uh, Morgan wants to leave and he's just like, okay, see you later, pal. Good luck. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I, I don't know. I, I, 
but I do think Rick thinks they're both coming back no matter what. Right. So, all right. Next up is Tyler in New Westminster, British Columbia. Tyler says, in relation to Rick and Morgan's conversation, I think that the point that got to Rick wasn't so much the point about the wolf, but Morgan's point about Carol. He said that you, Rick, disagreed with what she did to Karen and David, but instead of killing her, you exiled her and let her live, and then she came back and saved everyone. It was this point that I think hit home. The following point about the wolf was almost moot. I quite literally found myself nodding and saying, all right, fine, Morgan, you have finally made a valid point. Nice. (laughs) So, yeah, maybe. I mean, the logic problems, I think, sort of still exist in that in that sequence of things, but, uh, it's a little easier to follow. It's like Carol did something bad. You sent her away. She came back, sent everybody. If you'd killed her, she wouldn't have been there to do that. Yeah. You can't correct that kind of, uh, thing. If you kill somebody, you can't go, Oh, sorry, we made a mistake. Uh, let's undo that. Yeah. You can't undo a a murder or a killing. That's right. Right. So that's a, that is a better point for sure. I wish I wish reality had an undo button. Man, that'd be great. Oh man, yeah. I wish my my house had a search function. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish. Yeah, regular books had a search as well. You ever look for something in a book? Oh my god, you got to read the whole thing. <laughs> like a chump. <laughs> like a chump. Yeah. <laughs> Who wants to do that? No, I wish the search function in my house wasn't just me walking around going, "God damn, I wish I knew where that thing was." <laughs> that I'm I know where for. everything is in my house. Every single thing. Yeah, usually. Somebody, when my wife asked me where something is, I generally know where it is. Someday when you have kids, that's all going to go out the window. Well, yeah, probably. But I've always been pretty good with uh, remembering where things are. When I lose something where I don't know what it is, I don't go looking for it. I sit down and close my eyes and then try and remember what I did with it. And usually I can figure it out. Uh, all right. I go, that's, that's, I go through the log. That's a really interesting skill. I still think someday that's going to go out the window. <laughs> Well, yeah, because as you add more people, I'm, you know, I get less and less in control of where things get put. Exactly. Right. If I don't put it someplace, I don't know where it is. That's right. Well, so I'd, uh, I'd think about that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next we have Jason in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Did you guys catch the guy looking for the horse? I think it's Ezekiel. Uh, he had what looked like armor on Morgan saved Ezekiel. Maybe he will save the group. Okay, so Ezekiel is a comic book character and who has not been on the show yet. And I don't mind bringing this up because I think just referring to the character is not spoilery in any way. We don't need to go into it anymore, but um, I think it's an interesting catch on Jason's part here, which can I, by the way, can I just say I love the name St. Cloud, Minnesota? I don't know why. That's a really cool name for a city. Um, but uh, yeah, I think he may be onto something here. This is the... This is maybe not Ezekiel, but maybe someone related to him. And uh, I think that's a really good catch. And and a good little Easter egg they drop into this episode, because who knows when this is going to come back or when they're going to get to sort of revisiting this. I have no memory of Ezekiel, Ezekiel in the comic. So maybe he came after issue number 100 where you stopped reading. I don't remember right now, but uh, he's... He, he is a character that shows up in the comic. and I should uh, start over, just start reading the comics from the beginning again. But only up to number 100, because I don't want no, you why to... why would I do that? Well, because I, I, I kind of like now that we're past where you've read to nearly, or we're getting to that point, I sort of like the, the idea that one of us has read the comics and one of us hasn't. 
Oh, I see. Of where the right. of where the show timeline is. So for the greater good, I will not get caught up on the comics. The greater good. That's right. Yeah. All right. Um, Simon in Sweden writes, when I first saw that scene, the first thing that came to mind is the story of Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit in Eden. So obviously he's talking about the uh, apple scene. Alexandria is Rick and Michonne's Eden, where they have everything they need inside the walls. And right now they are on the top of the world in the most secure and comfortable position they have been uh, since the series started. As far as they know, the world's ours and we know how to take it, as Rick Grimes says. Is this foreshadowing to them being cast out of Eden? Well, yes and no. I'd say probably yeah. Well, who's casting them out, though? Circumstance? Because nobody's directed them not to eat of the knowledge of the, the sorry, not to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge, mm-hmm. right? That's so right. nobody's told them not to do that, and nobody's going to be casting them out per se. No, but they may be driven out for for various reasons. In fact, they all half of them have left already. And yeah. who's uh, left? Tobin. <laughs> Tobin's there. Well, Maggie. Abraham is there. Sasha, Maggie, Carl. Are there is Judith in Alexandria? Judith, yeah, if she even exists anymore. The lady who takes care of the preserves in the in the uh, in the garage. Yep, Aaron Heath. They're all okay, still so in Alexandria. Lots there's lots of people there. There are lots there, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the the parallels in this scene to you know the Garden of Eden and stuff like that are are evident. And Rick is being extremely cocky and overconfident, and you know that's the kind of thing that's going to get. It's going to bite you in the ass eventually. Oh, that definitely, yeah. I'm just, uh, the apple itself, I, I question whether or not that's actually a symbolism for the Garden of Eden. Uh, but what Rick says definitely is a, uh, once you say that, uh, a whole shit, shit tornado is going to come down and, uh, you know, pick everything up and put it somewhere. Cover else. it in shit because it's a shit tornado. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. All right. All right. And I think the uh, fill in... Uh, Olathe? I'd say Ol- Olath, maybe. Olath, I don't know Kansas? if you pronounce the E on the end of that. Olath, Kansas? All right. Phil in Olath, Kansas writes uh, about this topic. When Rick and Michonne were having their morning pillow talk, and Rick says, the world is ours and we know how to take it, and everything we need is right here inside these walls, did this not feel like a king and queen, queen having their delusions of power? Usually when you hear something like this, a major catastrophe will soon follow. It's the king and queen. They're talking. They're like, everything is great right now, but things can change on a dime. Yeah. Everything is awesome. <laughs> Never say that. Then then what happens? <laughs> Stuff becomes not awesome. Yeah. For a little while. June on the internet writes, I am finding myself feeling more alienated from Rick as a protagonist every week. His hubris is hard to fathom considering the many threats that exist in this world. Does he feel the need to inflate his own sense of invincibility just to keep himself feeling up to the task of protecting this group of people? His reassurances to Michonne are as empty as Tobin's assertion to Carol that everything will be all right. Morgan and Carol see the writing on the wall. You can't fight this fight and remain intact. Some part of you is going to die no matter what way, uh, no matter what way and for whom you decide to fight. Hmm. Very, um, very smart words from June here. I think you just you just can't be overconfident, and uh, you know maybe that's kind of what Rick is doing. He's like, I have to lead these people, so I have to never wear the brown pants. 
right? Never wear the brown pants. Wear the red the red clothes so nobody can see you bleed. Always wear the red clothes. Never wear the brown pants. That's and right. and that's kind of what Rick is is doing here, I think. Um, and you know, I didn't really think of it like that. I was just sort of on the more surface level. Uh, he's saying like they're so safe, so clearly they're not. But if if part of what he's doing is to sort of build himself up enough to continue leading these people and make them feel safe. You know, he probably doesn't do that consciously, but as a human being, as a character, that's one of the one of the ways he continues to, you know, hold the leadership position of the group. Yeah. Well, I maybe think. Rick is uh, killing people because the uh, the rush he gets from uh, murdering people at the drop of a hat makes the sex better. <laughs> maybe the sex is better. He gets all amped up and he's like, uh, yeah, I killed three people today. I didn't even have to. Let's fuck. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Way to be vulgar there, dude. I know. It's pretty harsh. Don't... I knew halfway through that it was probably a mistake. I <laughs> uh, but I, but by then it was too late. It was... I, I had already started. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was too late. Um, that's where you could have dropped in the sweet, sweet lovemaking. <laughs> let's sweet, sweet lovemaking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go to the next one. All right. So we have Chris in the UK. Uh, the characters in the show are not you. It's not bad writing or awkward just because you wouldn't do what the characters did. Jason, it's just plain weird to assume that everyone else has your obsessive approach <laughs> to fruit and sticky hands. Chris. Oh. It's no less unfair to assume that because you wouldn't go after Daryl, Glenn wouldn't either. Putting himself in danger uh, to help someone else is absolutely who Glenn is, and him going after Daryl is entirely consistent with that. What might have been odd would have been that uh, if he'd let Maggie go with him, but he didn't do that. I kind of agree with Chris in the UK here. Um, the thing about Chris is he, he, he sends almost every week long contrarian type emails, which is great. I think that's fantastic. I would never want him to do anything else. Uh, and I'm certainly not complaining about that at all because it's great to hear contrary theories and opinions and stuff like that. That's one of the reasons we do this whole thing. So I don't mean that in a bad way at all. Um, but, uh, I don't always include, you know, a lot of it because they are typically pretty long and, and a lot of, he makes a lot of points on a lot of different topics, which is great. This one here though, um, uh, you know, weird to assume that not everyone else has your obsessive approach to fruit and sticky hands. I don't think that's what you were doing, really. You were just sort of saying that's how you feel. And, you know, generally you think it's weird to immediately wake up in the morning and eat an apple. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I need right now? I need an apple. <laughs> right. If only you had one right now. Right now. That would be great for podcast. Um, but, it, but with... As far as the Glenn point here, I don't really agree that it is who Glenn is to go after Daryl like this. I know Glenn's part of the family. He wants to help everyone. He, you know, would, he would more than happily volunteer to go out and rescue someone or go be part of a search party or something like that. But you have to consider the circumstances, in my opinion. And the circumstances here are that they just got back from a pretty harrowing experience for his wife and for other characters and even for Glenn himself. And he immediately jumps back on the horse or in the van and leaves her again. And I just don't think that that would be necessarily his first instinct after what they've just been through. Even if that is 
an important part of his character generally. I mean, characters are are complex, or at least the best ones are, and they should be, and they can change over time. So I think Glenn has recently had an experience that would make him think twice about hopping in that van and immediately going after Daryl. Yep. And that's really all I was, was trying to get at. Um, whether that's part of his character or not, I think he would think twice. And that wasn't really shown in the show. He was just like, we got to stop him. Let's go. In fact, I think it even was Glenn's idea to go out right. and go after Daryl. Right. He's the one who said, let's do this. So you don't feel that the motivations are there to actually do what the characters did. That's right. Given the circumstances, right? I do think Glenn would have motivation or the desire to go and help his friend because he's his friend. But I think he would think twice and just think, you know what? We just got back. We almost lost Maggie, almost lost my wife. And now I'm going to go out. And in fact, you know, I was almost killed in the first half of this season. and. I made it back. You know, all these experiences combined would change a guy, I think. And and he might not be so ready to just go out and risk his life um, or at least think about what he's doing before he does it a little bit more, right? Because as we said earlier, why not let Daryl go out and do his thing? I mean, is it is it better to risk four people's lives or just one? And I think that's how Glenn would be thinking after what he's experienced. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe I don't not. know, but... That's the way I, that's the way I see it. Maybe he doesn't want to be tied down to a pregnant wife. Maybe he wants to get out in the world and, uh, you never know. There might be a strip club out there, uh, operating. Uh, maybe. The, so, the strippers might be in really rough shape though. Well, I don't know. Maybe the savers have, uh, set up a strip club. Maybe they're like, uh, you know, in order for the protection racket that we got going on, you have to, some people give us food. Some people give us weapons. You're running a strip club. And then Glenn wants to find that strip club. Yeah. You come up with the weirdest ideas sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, it happens. Just saying, I guess. Yep. All right. I can't remember who's next. You're next, uh, Jordan. Jordan in San Francisco. Okay. So Maggie is going to lose the baby. This is a given. Why? Because next week, Negan is going to kill her and the walking dead doesn't want to beat a pregnant woman to death. They had to get the baby out of the way first. Now, clearly, well, as far as I know, Jordan doesn't have any additional information. So who knows if Negan is going to kill Maggie next next episode? We don't know. But the, this is Jordan's theory. And, uh, you know, does The Walking Dead want to kill a pregnant woman? No, absolutely not. Probably not. So if she does indeed lose the baby or she's losing the baby as we speak, maybe maybe that puts her in harm's way for the season finale. They're not going to kill someone who just had a miscarriage. That seems kind of mean, too. <laughs> seems a little rough, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a rough week for somebody. Yeah, it really would be. So, yeah. <laughs> on that note, next we have Rona on the internet. Uh, the episode East completely changed my prediction for what's going to go down in the finale. I am now convinced that it will be Carol that gets killed by Negan. In, this, in season one, she was weak, afraid, being beaten by her husband, and unable to do what it takes to protect and keep alive the people she loved. In the following seasons, Carol became a force of nature, an independent badass who could do whatever it take, uh, takes to protect herself and the group. Additionally, since Ed, she has never been linked romantically to another character. 
uh, or to other characters. Fast forward to this season, Carol was put back in the role of subservient housewife. She became a weak, she became weak again, and she almost ruined her and Maggie's escape by not being able to pull the trigger on Paula. Uh, she can't kill to protect her family at Alexandra, and she hyperventilates instead of protecting herself. She is now romantically linked to Tobin, and as Paula said, she has become the type of person who shouldn't have survived in the post-zombie world. Carol's journal journey will come to will come full circle when she dies in a way that she uh, would have pre-apocalypse. Only instead of Ed beating her to death, it will be Negan. It's a solid theory, except that I think most of Carol's um, uh, disguise is is artificial, right? Yeah. Most of her hyperventilating and the personality changes is just her manipulating the situation. Not entirely because she did decide that she doesn't want to kill for people anymore and leave. That's not art. That's not fake. I mean, there's no reason to fake something like that. That's real. But at the same time, when she's standing on the road in front of the saviors with the gun up her sleeve and she starts crying and hyperventilating. I do believe that's a bit of an act. Just yes, like it's totally an act. Just like it was an act with Paula, you know, a couple episodes ago. Yeah. So and just like baking of cookies and dressing in uh, right. uh, the fifties kind of style and being subservient and meek. That's all an act. Yeah, that's all an act. So, um, uh, so you got to yeah. remember through all of this, uh, you know, fifties housewife type uh, walking around town, baking cookies and giving it, giving them to everybody. She's got in her belt a brass knuckles slash knife. Right. Like that is not something that a fifties housewife would carry around just for uh, self, <laughs> for protection. That is a mean piece of equipment that can be used to really uh, hurt somebody or something. Yeah. Do a lot of damage. So, I mean, Carol has changed a great deal, but what I was trying to say is she hasn't really reverted back to what she yeah. was before. doesn't mean Negan's not going to kill her, and it doesn't mean that her sort of character can't sort of come full circle like like uh, Rona's saying here. Um, uh, but at this point, God, there's, there's arguments that you could put forth for nearly every character on the show that they're going to be killed off in the season finale. Um, and we're going to have to wait to find out. We are. It's Except maybe Judas. Do. Judas is not going to get beaten to death by Negan. Um, I'm going to, I'll agree with you there. I will yeah, agree with you she's there. She's safe from Negan. All right. Uh, Christy in the UK writes, after watching this week's Walking Dead, I cannot wait for the finale next week. Is it awful that I hope Daryl is not okay? I feel like we need to thin the herd a little. It would prove to us all that this world that the walking dead is set in is truly a terrifying place. If we lose both Daryl and Glenn in the same episode, it would have been, it would have been sad to see Maggie raise a kid without Glenn. And now I'm guessing that she will lose both Glenn and the baby and then be a force to be reckoned with. She will want to kill Negan so much that, uh, more than she does already. She will be out for revenge and have nothing to lose, which will make for great viewing. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine if Daryl and Glenn both get it in the season finale? That'd be uh, that'd be quite the uproar. My God, that would probably spark the biggest, like, outrage from a television show ever. You know, with 15 million people watching this show, 14.999 million of them in love with Glenn and Daryl. <laughs> yep. That would, man, it, people would go nuts. It'd be quite the upset. 
It really would, but uh, quite the theory. But what it does for Maggie's character, I think Christy is saying, is that it just, you know, puts her on a path that will lead her into some dark places. That's pretty dark for Maggie. Uh, if she loses the baby and Glenn and then goes to this dark place and becomes a killing hatred machine uh, who's hell-bent on uh, dismembering Negan and everybody he's ever talked to. Uh, that's pretty dark. Most likely what I think will happen is that if both Glenn and um, Daryl die and she loses the baby, she'll die too. She'll die they'll, too to spare, to, kill her. to spare us from that, you know, that um, depressing. The show's pretty dark, but it's not that dark. Oh, yeah. It's, I know, but I, uh, they could go in a, in a new dark direction after this week's episode. Not with an ensemble cast like we have. You don't think so? No, I don't think so. I think we could get away with that if the entire focus of the show was one person, similar to Breaking Bad. Uh huh. Like everything was was Walter White and his descent into insanity and ultimate evil. Uh, but it was all focused on him. Sure, we had other ancillary characters, but uh, it was all Walter White and Walter White's journey. This ensemble cast, I don't think we can go that dark with one single character. Yeah, because you have to come and go with the characters as we've seen, right? And if, I mean, that's something that you, that's that would be hard to leave alone for a while, right? Yeah. It, it, I'm sorry, I'm going to clarify just a little bit. It would be hard to do with a good guy. Uh, it's not that hard to do if it's somebody we consider evil and a bad guy, like the governor. Right. So the governor was a very dark character, keeping his uh, his daughter or niece or daughter or whatever in chains as she was a zombie and having those fish tank full of zombies head, zombie heads. Mm-hmm. That was pretty dark. But he was a bad guy, and we accepted that. Yeah. This kind of darkness from a character that we know and love and has been in the show for such a long time, a part of an ensemble cast, I have I have my doubts. They'd have to resolve it some way quickly because you can't, you can't go down that path and then have eight episodes where we're dealing with other things and you're not focusing on that character, I think is what basically what you're saying, right? Because this is a main character that we consider a good guy. Um, so they'd have to – they can introduce that kind of darkness, but they'd have to resolve it somehow before they move on to something else. Yeah, they would. Or they'd have to spin it off into uh, another show. If we got uh, if we spun Daryl and Carol and Maggie into another show, we could have like the A team. So we have, uh, yeah, we have. You know, they if you can find them, then they can help you out when you're in a a, a sticky situation, and they'll kick some ass, and they'll have a, a montage of some kind, and then Daryl can be like B. A. Baracus and uh, do the technical stuff. And Carol's the mean one, and uh, Maggie would be face. There we go. We just we need Murdoch. Who'd be Murdoch? You always Mor- need a Murdoch. Morgan. I don't know, Morgan. You got to be crazy to be Murdoch. You can't just be. Uh, you got to be you a loose, be, loose cannon. Got to be completely Looney Tunes. We'd have to bring somebody in from the Saviors. That's what we'd have to do. We'd have to spin that off into another show. They could take a van. That's fine. <laughs> they have those. <laughs> they have those. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, there you go. You got a good A-team crossover idea. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Next, we have Jackie in Croydon, England. Uh, Apparently, apples are also known as nature's toothbrush due to the abrasiveness of the skin and the right amount of acidity to whiten teeth. 
I guess they're still in the honeymoon stage, so first thing in the morning, an apple on hand to make the mouth kiss-friendly, assuming they still have no toothpaste, of course. That's right. They had no toothpaste, and my mom used to call apples um, nature's toothbrush or something like that. So It's it, also that, a stimulant. It's Eating an apple is like having a cup of coffee. Oh, yeah? There's a, there's, it's definitely a stimulant in there. If you need a pick-me-up, eat an apple. Well, I like apples. I eat almost one a day, so... Good that point. keeps the doctor away. I've heard that. I have heard that too. Uh, Irwin in Manila, Philippines also writes, listen, apples are nature's breath fresheners and are good for morning breath, especially after a night of sweet, sweet lovemaking, you idiots. Oh, Irwin listened to our <laughs> advice on how to write a sentence. <laughs> Always end with, you idiots. And you start off with, listen. <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly Erwin, Erwin was really paying attention last, uh, you, last get, uh, you get 13 and a half Jason points Erwin that was a good sentence that was pretty good uh, alright so there's one more email Jason and this one is is for you um, and I included this one just because it was, was kind of funny and I enjoyed reading it so uh, why don't you go for it alright it's Glenn in Hampshire England I uh, just had to write to say what a wonderful drive home I had tonight listening to the podcast, especially you two talking about the things you can learn on YouTube. It got me thinking, can you imagine what Carol's YouTube channel would have been like? Something like this, perhaps? Fade in, Carol standing at the counter. Hello and welcome to another edition of Killing and Cooking with me, Carol Peltier. Pel Pelletier? Pel Peltier. Peltier? Yeah. I said that right the first time and then fucked it all up. Why don't you start over? Uh, hello, and welcome to another edition of Killing and Cooking with me, Carol Peltier. Now, as you'll remember, last week we learned how to kill and dispose of a problem child. I hope you all remember to make them look at the flowers. Now this week we're making cookies. But don't forget to tune in next week when I'll be showing you how to sew a semi-automatic weapon into your favorite oversized coat. And I'll also show you how to collect the spent shells straight in your bra. <laughs> but back to this week. Cookies. First, you need to prepare acorns and beets. Keep up the good work, you idiots. <laughs> so another another idiot there. Yeah, um, yeah. I I do think that was that was funny. Uh, that was Carol's awesome. YouTube channel, uh, cookies and killing with Carol. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good awesome. stuff. Thank you, Glenn, for sending that in, and thank you everybody for sending in your feedback this week. Next week on The Walking Dead. All right, so now I just want to remind everyone what the next episode of The Walking Dead is going to be called, or inform you in case you don't know, um, because we want your title reads for Monday's recap episode. So the season six finale is called Last Day on Earth. If that is not indicative of what might happen for some character, I don't know what is, but Last Day on Earth, it's directed by Greg Nicotero, and there is no information on who this was written by, at least on Wikipedia. So we don't know who wrote this episode. Could be Scott Gimple. Could be uh, uh, Robert Kirkman, for all we know. Um, but it's going to be a big one. It's going to be 90 minutes long. And, of course, we'll be podcasting Monday night to recap it and talk about what happened and what we witnessed. So last day on Earth, if you want to get a title read in, Record yourself saying the title, send it in to us, and uh, we'll try to play that when we when we do the recap. You excited for the finale, Jason? I am excited for the finale, Christopher. I'm excited and I'm a little nervous. I've never been this nervous about an episode of this show, um, finale or otherwise, I don't think. 
because well, I just I just have a feeling some some bad shit is going to go down and it's going to be hard to watch and it's going to just be really brutal and you know maybe maybe I'm way off base but I am and I'm greatly anticipating it but I'm also really nervous at what they're going to do. Uh I don't know if I'm nervous. I'm uh, looking forward to it. I think it's going to be exciting. Yeah, I am looking forward to it in most ways. <laughs> but uh <laughs> I just hope I don't come out of it being like like if it's really bad, that'll be that'll be disappointing, but if it's if it's really good but really shocking or really surprising, I mean that'll be great too. I just I just don't know. And if and if somebody dies, if somebody is killed, like there's been so much discussion constantly about who's going to die and how it's going to go down and you know, if if some if that happens, I just, you know, I don't want to feel sad, but at the same time I kind of do because that'll mean that you know, something really surprising has happened and, and you want to feel things when you watch shows, right? You want to feel for the characters and stuff. And so I think there might be lots of feels after episode 16. I think what you need to do is go take a nice warm bath and then uh, go get a hug from your kids. Well, I think that'd make you feel better. I think I might do that. They're in bed now. So I'll go up and watch them sleep for a while. That always makes me feel better. Yeah, good. And sounds creepy, but it's not really. <laughs> no, it's not. It's your own. Yeah. It's my own kids. sound creepy. I don't There's go wrong with that. I don't go watch them sleep. But every night before I go to bed, I go in there and, you know, make sure they're tucked in. If you crash in my place and watch me sleep, that's creepy. Well, I've only slept at your house once in my life, and I'm not going to tell you whether I watched you sleep or not. <laughs> I appreciate that. Really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we I, support want... that, uh, I support that decision. Wouldn't want to be creepy. Yeah. All righty. So last day on Earth, get your title reads in, and uh, that's coming up on Sunday night. So the schedule next week will be pretty standard. Um, Monday night, recap, Wednesday night, um, feedback show. And then after that, Fear the Walking Dead is on the following week. So we are going to go back to one podcast a week covering fear. And uh, we'll just take it from there. And then that that season two of that show has 15 episodes. So they're going to do, I think, eight and seven with a break in between. Right. Uh, so you won't be getting rid of us, at least on a weekly basis, for at least the next nine weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So uh, there you go. All right. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to get in touch, you can uh, find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Talking Dead. Um, visit our website, TalkingDeadPodcast.com and click on send voicemail if you'd like to send in a message that way. Or send us email at TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for everyone's participation and for writing in. And uh, until next time, season finale time. Mm -hmm. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.